All right, if you got a Bible, go to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. While you're turning there, I want to title this message, When the Word is in Your House. When the Word is in Your House. And there's something powerful that happens in the story of the prophet of Elisha during his time that wherever he went, he impacted the house that he went to. Have you ever seen someone who just had such an impact that wherever they went, whatever they touched, it just seemed to get better, more powerful, and more valuable? So I want to go to verse 8. A, and a well-to-do, wealthy woman lived there. This woman had money. She had a nice house. She was married. She was good. She had everything she needed. But there was one thing that she needed that she didn't have, and that was she needed the presence of God in her house. And all of us in this room have something that we need. You may have money, you may have clothes, you may be married, you may have children, but we all need something. This woman was wealthy, but she was lacking something. We all, we all have a, an area of lack, something that we need. And so she urged the prophet. She heard that the man of God was passing by and she urged him. She, she desperately pleaded with him, you've gotta come over to our house. You've gotta come and have a meal at our house. And so he did. Elisha came over and had dinner at their house. And after that, whenever he passed, I want you to just look at that verse for a second. Every time he passed by in verse eight, look at that. Every time he passed by, she knew this man needs to come to our house. The word of God is powerful, but how we respond to the word of God will determine how powerful that word is to us. I could preach the best message ever, but if you don't want the word, it won't do much work in your life. How you respond. There were many times where Jesus would pass by people and need does not obligate God to move. It's desperation that pulls God into your house. Just because you have problems and needs doesn't mean God's going to barge his way into your house. He's a gentleman. He won't force himself on anyone. Just like the word of God passes by people's lives. But what you do with that word, if you grab hold of it, this woman saw Elisha passing by. Blind Bartimaeus saw Jesus passing by. And when Jesus passed by, blind Bartimaeus cried out for his attention. This wealthy woman cried out for the man of God. I need the word of God in my house. I've got to have the word of how we respond to the word of God will determine how much the word of God works in our lives. No matter who comes to preach it, we're going to have a powerful conference in January with amazing speakers from all over the world. But no matter how good their word is, if you don't really respond to it, if you're like, well, there's not much for me here. I'm, I'm blessed. I got enough. This woman wanted, the, how bad do you want the word of God in your house? And there's people who want a lot of things in their house. There's people who want a lot of things in general. We're, we're, we're a society that's always excited about something. We always want something. I was recently talking with some people who said, do you know how expensive a Kansas City Chiefs ticket is now that Taylor Swift goes to the football games? Her presence at that stadium has increased the value. It's no longer the Kansas City Chiefs game. It's Taylor Swift's game, and we're all coming to it. And, and they were talking about how valuable that everything she touches turns to gold. That if she is eating pizza with ranch, Hidden Valley Ranch is going to make a million dollars extra this week. If she's wearing Travis Kelsey's jersey, his, that jersey will be the number one jersey. Here's the point. When you get the word of God in your house, when you are desperate for something that's better than Taylor Swift, when you're desperate for something that's better than a Kansas City Chiefs football ticket, when you're desperate for something that can actually change your life, when that word gets in your house, here's how bad this wealthy woman knew that if this prophet shows up to her house, she knew our house will get better, our marriage will get better, our finances will get better, our dreams will get better, our skills will get better, our conversations will get better. Can I tell you, when the word of God shows up, it changes everything for the better. If we have anything in our house, we should get the word of God in. So she urged him. She made room for him. She says to her husband in verse 9, she says, I am sure this man who comes in time to time is a holy man of God. He passes by and he comes in. And then she tells her husband, I think we should make room for him. 
Let's build a small room in our house. Now, they had money, so they could afford to make an, a, a, an addition to their house. She said, let's, let's put God in the guest room. Let's build a, a, a guest room just for the word of God to come in every single day. What if we valued the word of God? Where we said, I don't want just the word of God on Sundays, but we made room for the word of God on Monday, Tuesday. What if you turned your house into a daily church service where you put on worship music in the morning instead of some of that trash music? What if you put on podcast of sermons and the Bible every morning in your car? What if we started making room for the word of God to permeate our living room, our kitchen, our bedroom? I grew up in a house where my mom and dad put scriptures on the walls of, of every room in our house. How many of y'all grew up with some scriptures in your house? Like you walk into the bathroom and there's a scripture. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I was always like, are they watching me right now? <laughs> and, and then you turn the corner, let us run the race with perseverance. Let us, and, and then those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I grew up with some scriptures in my house. How many of y'all grew up with some scriptures in your house? And those scriptures were reminders whether you were in the kitchen, the living room, your parents' bedroom, wherever, those scriptures were reminders that the word of God is in this house. Can I tell you, when the word of God is in your house, everything gets better. So she said, let's make room. Somebody say, make room. We sing this song at Victory. And I will make room for you To do whatever you want to to do whatever you want to and I will make room for you to do whatever you want to to do whatever you want to so this woman makes room in her house her and her husband they say let's make room for the word of God in our house by the way, they didn't have Bibles back then. Y'all are going, Paul, it wasn't the word of God. It was just a prophet. That prophet was the living, breathing Bible in his time. They didn't have a New Testament. They didn't even have an Old Testament. It was still being written. But it wasn't being written in that time. It was being spoken. So they said, we want the spoken word of God in our house. Every single time he comes through the city, God won't barge in unless you invite him in. They said, every time you pass by, we got a spot for you. We got a bedroom. We got a lamp. We got a bed. We've got a desk for you. You come in and you make your presence in this house. We want you to make yourself at home. We should say that to the Holy Spirit every single day. Lord, make yourself at home in this house. Make yourself at home in our conversations. By the way, this is going to be one of those sermons where I don't have points, so I just want the Lord to speak to you. You can write your own points down. This is going to be one of those line upon line, verse upon verse. The Holy Spirit will reveal to you what he wants you to get out of this message. But one day, Elisha returned to Shunem, and he goes to the upper room. He goes into the house. He's now ha he now has a key. So he comes in, goes up to his room. He's relaxing. And he's got his servant with him. By the way, when you open the word of, of God to come into your house, the word of God brings friends. They were talking about how when Taylor Swift showed up to this Kansas City Chiefs game, she brought some friends with her. She brought Ryan Reynolds, and she brought famous artists and celebrities. And the more famous friends she brought, the more attention they got, and the more value of the tickets went up. Can I tell you, when the word of God comes, he brings some friends with him. He brings favor. He brings hope. He brings joy. He brings peace. He brings mercy. He brings forgiveness. When you open the door to the right stuff, the right friends come in. By the way, if you open the door to the wrong stuff, the wrong stuff comes in. We're in the month of October, and people are going, oh, I want to get scared in October. I want to watch a good horror movie. I want to be scared. When I open the door to those horror movies, along with those horror movies comes in fear, panic, paranoia. Who's going to murder me? I don't know what's going on. You know, All kinds of friends come in with this stuff. Be careful who you open the, the door of your house to. Be careful who... Be careful what you're opening the door for your kids' bedrooms to be watching on YouTube, what they're watching on Netflix. All kinds of stuff comes in with those shows and those things. That's why we got to pay attention to who are we letting in our house. Who and what are we allowing in our house? How often are we entertaining things that are stirring up even more strife in our marriages, more strife with our children? Why are they being so rebellious? What are they watching? 
What are we allowing to permit? What kind of music, what kind of stuff are we allowing in our house? When the word of God is in your house, it changes the lies of the enemy that are trying to deceive your children, your parent, whatever the situation is. So Elisha starts talking to his friend. He says, hey, what can we do? What can we do for this woman who's been so kind to us? In verse 13, he says, we appreciate the kind concern. He's talking to the woman of the house, the lady of the house. He says, we appreciate all the kindness and the compassion you've shown to us. Can we put in a good word for you to the king? Can we talk to the commander of the army about how good you are? Can we do something? I think we need to realize that God is not up in heaven conspiring to curse us. God is up in heaven brainstorming how to bless us. God is a good God. He's not a bad God. God is not up there going, I'm going to punish them for not reading their Bible this week. No, no, no. God is up in heaven and he's going, how can I bless Ashley this week? How can I bless Sharon Darty for all her labor of love as a mom? How can I bless some dads in the room? How can I bless some single parent kids in the room? We serve a God who wakes up thinking about blessing us. His mercies are new every single morning. By the way, he never sleeps nor slumbers, so he's always thinking good thoughts. Jeremiah 29, 11, a scripture that was up in my house when I would walk through the walls of our house, the hallways, this one scripture, for I know the plans and the thoughts that I have towards you. And those plans and thoughts are to bless you. See, God is not thinking about hurting you. He's thinking about blessing you. Elisha was sitting there and he says, I want to bless you. I want to do something good for you. You opened the door up for the word in your house. And along with that word came a blessing, came the favor of God. He says, what can I do for you? What do you need? Now, this woman had money. She had extra pairs of shoes and clothes. She had plenty of room in her house. So it's not like she needs a new wardrobe. It's not like she needs a check. She doesn't need any financial increase. And she looks at him and she says, no, 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 no. I'm good. My family takes good care of me. A good church answer. How you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm blessed and highly favored. But you know deep down inside. How many of y'all know deep down inside there's some stuff? There's always something. And you don't want to talk about it to people who you don't think can do anything about it. Sometimes you don't talk about it because you think, even if I told you, you can't fix it. So don't worry about me. I'm good. Just keep coming over to the house. But Elisha wouldn't quit prying. You ever met someone that just keeps prying into your business and you're like, dude, leave me alone. I said, I'm good. I'm fine. But Elisha says, what can we do for her? What does she need? What is she going through? How are things in her marriage? What are the the things that we can't see and hear? But if we were to read between the lines, what is she lacking right now? And his friend, Gehazi, he says, she's married to a man who's much older than her. And she's never had kids. And I think they've been told that they can't have kids. Elisha, I don't think it's possible. By the way, when you tell a prophet something's not possible, that's when he gets a twinkle in his eye. He's going, ah, this is where God does his greatest work. Impossible is an invitation for God. Impossible family situations, impossible marriage situations, impossible physical situations. He says, call her back in. Call her back in. And then Elisha looks at the woman. She's standing in the doorway. She's kind of leaning against the door. She's going, what? He says, ma'am, this time next year, this time next year, you will be holding a son in your arms. This time next year, everything's going to change. And I just feel that's a prophetic word for someone in the room today. This time next year, the thing you've been told is impossible. The thing that you've believed is incurable. The thing you've believed is unreconcilable. The thing you've believed will never be restored. God says this time next year, get ready, get ready, get ready. Everything is going to change. Now we can clap in church, but this woman was mad in her house. She was angry. She says, no, my Lord. I just wanted to wake you up. But it says she cried, exclamation mark. She cried, no. And she cried. 
And Elisha's eyes got big, like, why aren't you happy with this prophetic word? She says, man of God, don't you deceive me. Don't you get my hopes up like that. I've been let down by enough prophets in my life. I've been told things were going to change in my family, and they never changed. I've gone down to altar calls, and it's never worked out. Don't you get my hopes up when I've tithed and I've, spent, I've done all the stuff I can do. Don't you say something's going to happen. Don't you. I'm fine with you just being here. I'm fine with you preaching a good word. I'm fine with your prayer. But when you start touching on my personal stuff, don't mess with me like this. She was angry because he was touching on something very private to her something she didn't even want to talk about. It was the unspoken prayer request. It was the thing if, if someone was to ask her to write down her deepest, darkest hurt in her heart, she would just write down the words unspoken prayer request. She didn't tell anybody about this. She didn't want to talk about this. But Elisha goes right for the throat. He says, it's coming. God's not finished with you yet. She says, don't you talk like that. Don't you talk like that. I'm tired of being betrayed by prophets who weren't real. I'm, I'm tired of being told things were going to happen and just disappointed and disappointed and disappointed. But here's the thing I love. Elisha doesn't rebuke her. Elisha doesn't say, fine, God's done with you. He's not going to do what I said he was going to do. Elisha doesn't say, I'm leaving. I'm getting out of here. Your doubt won't allow me to stay in this house. Elisha doesn't even rebuke her for her doubt. He just lets the word sit there. He just releases the word and he lets the word do its work. Isaiah 55, 11 says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. Once it's out of my mouth, it's there and it begins to work. And this word will not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. It shall prosper in the thing for which it was sent. Once the prophetic word was released, Elisha was looking at the woman and he could feel her pain, but he also knew God's going to do what God wants to do. And God's going to get the glory, even though this woman is heartbroken over her past. And sure enough, in verse 17, the woman soon became pregnant. The word of God works in spite of our doubt. The word of God works even in spite of our lack of faith. And I'm all, I'm all for us stirring up our faith. But I've watched God move even when faith wasn't strong. Even when there was a little bit of doubt. And, and, and yet here this woman is. She's dealing with doubt and God still gives her a baby. And there she is the next year. She's holding her son in her arms this promise and she's weeping over the the joy of finally getting to have a child and then as soon as the promise came as soon as it was good time goes on this baby grows out of diapers he becomes a toddler he grows into a 10 11 12 year old boy he's big enough now to help outside and this would be a great place to end the story and go and everything ended happily ever after but sometimes promises that are good in one season can become a heartbreak in the next season. And in verse 18, one day when her child had gotten older and he was outside helping his dad, who was working with the harvesters, something began to affect his head, something inside of his mind. Suddenly he cried out, my head, my head hurts, my head hurts. And I've been there before where my head was hurting. I wrote a book about it called Mind Games. I think this is the cry of this generation. My head hurts. My head hurts. We have more people on antidepressants, more people on Xanax, more people on all kinds of medication trying to deal with pain in their head than ever before. Scientists have concluded that COVID-19 affected kids more than it affected anyone else, any other demographic. Kids and teenagers were the highest impacted group of people during COVID-19 because when they couldn't go back to school and parents had to go back to work, many kids were left in apartments and homes trying to figure out how to make it through school, struggling with suicidal thoughts, struggling with loneliness and depression, crying out, my head hurts, my head hurts, my head hurts. And the dad didn't know what to do with it because sometimes dads, I'll be honest, sometimes dads, we're rough around the edges. We're like, hey, just get it together and just keep on working. Just put a Band-Aid on it. Let's keep going, you know. 
And so the dad says, you need to go see your mom. Go see your mom. There's some things that only moms can do for kids. My mom, I think is one of the best, I think she is the best mom that, that, that I could ever have growing up. My wife is the best mom to our kids, but my mom was the best mom for me. And there were times where my dad was intense. He was like rough. But I would come home and I would just need like a tender, gentle mama to talk to me. One time my senior year of high school, I was discouraged. I was overwhelmed. Friends had all their plans. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was having a bad day. I was like, I just want to quit. And I came home and something my mom did for me and my brother regularly is that she would say, sit down and let me make you a grilled cheese sandwich. Sharon's grilled cheese sandwiches were the best. It was extra cheese, melted, the, to- the bread was right, a little bit of mayo inside there. I don't know, it was good, some extra butter. It was just, and she would sit there, and she- then she would hand me the grilled cheese and say, talk to me, Paul, what's going on? And I say, well, mom, da 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 Something about a mama's presence. I just want to give it up for all the moms in the room. I think I've seen Ashley do this with our kids. There's something about a mother's touch, a mother's care. So the mom is holding the son while his head is hurting. And she's thinking back to the day when the prophet told her, you're going to have a son and you'll be holding him in your arms. But now she's holding a 12 to 13 year old boy. This isn't normal. And she's looking at him and stay on that verse because here she is. She's, she's confident everything's going to be fine. This was the promise that God gave her. And there in her arms, this young boy in verse 20 passes away suddenly. He dies right around noontime. What do you do when the promise of God dies in your life? When the dream dies What do you do? Here's what she does in the next verse. She takes the dream. She takes the promise. And she carries him up to that guest room where God stays. She carries him up to the room where the word of God sits. And she lays her dead dream on the altar of the word of God. She lays him on the same bed where the man of God would lay. She says, I'm going to place this dream where it all started. I'm not bringing this to Facebook. She shuts the door. In other words, she says, I don't need my neighbors weighing in on this. I don't need comments from all my friends on Instagram. I think sometimes we are putting our problems out there for people who have no ability to fix them. We're we're inviting the public opinion of people who have no ability to reconcile or restore what only God can do. Sometimes we need to shut the front door and the back door and the upper room door. We need to shut the door and say, God... You gave me this, and I'm in a lot of pain right now, and it doesn't make sense, and I don't know what to do, but I'm not going to talk to my neighbors about this. I'm not going to broadcast this on social media. God needs some alone time with your problem. God needs some alone time with your problem. He needs some alone time. So she lays the problem. She shuts the door, and she says, God, I just need you to work on that. In the meantime... She's got a bone to pick with somebody. She sends a message to her husband. She says, get me a donkey now. Get me someone to go with me. I'm going to go talk to that man of God. Because he promised me something. And I got a word. I got a word I got to say to him. I'll be right back. The husband goes, well, why are you going today? Have you ever asked your spouse, where are you going? Why are you doing that? This doesn't make sense. Have you ever asked? We've asked that before, me and Ashley to each other. And she goes, don't worry about it. It will be all right. In other words, trust me. It will be all right. Why don't you just say that with me? It will be all right. So she saddles the donkey and she says to the servant, hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to. And they approach the man of God at Mount Carmel. This was the same mountain Elijah called fire down from heaven. The same mountain where Elisha's predecessor, Elijah, spoke to the rain and the rain came on after three and a half years of no rain. This mountain was a powerful mountain. And Elisha is there. And I think he's there reminiscing on the previous days. Maybe he's there praying for people. But she comes running at him and he sees her in the distance. It's like a dust storm behind this woman on a donkey. And he goes, something's not right. 
He looks at his servant Gehazi and says, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. I can see her in the distance. Run out to her and meet her and ask her, is everything all right with you, your husband, and your child? And the woman looks at Gehazi with a nice church smile and says, yes, everything's fine. And we can blame her and go, why was she being so fake? Why wouldn't she just tell him what was really going on? Why are people so fake? She knew Gehazi couldn't fix this. She was protecting the privacy of her problem to talk to the right person. Some people don't have the key to unlock the secrets in our heart. No offense, but if you come up to me and go, Paul, how are you doing? If we don't have a personal relationship, I'm going to go, doing good. Good to see you. And I love you, and I mean it. But if my mom comes and talks to me, if Ashley comes and talks to me, if my best friend comes up and says, Paul, how are you really doing? That's a different, they have a key that unlocks that question in a deeper way. They have some space to handle if I got to talk about something. This woman looks at Gehazi and she goes, everything's fine. She keeps walking. <laughs> and then she gets to the man of God, the man that she had a friendship with, the man that she had invited over for dinners and lunches and breakfast and brunch, the man who stayed at her house regularly. And she looks at him. And she weeps. She falls down at his feet. She's angry. And Gehazi tries to pull her away. Get away from the man of God. Give him some space. What's wrong with you, crazy woman? And Elisha rebukes his servant. He says, leave her alone. She's deeply troubled. But the Lord has not told me what it's about. By the way, prophets don't know everything. I think we need more prophets to, to follow the cue of Elisha and go, the Lord hasn't told me about that situation. I think sometimes we're too fast to, to think we know it all. This prophet says, I don't know what's going on, but things are, things are bad, I can tell. Things are off. Something's off. Elisha was one of those guys that led from the heart. He could just feel it. And then she looks at Elisha, and she says, did I ask for this? I didn't even ask for this. There are people fighting things right now they didn't even ask for. They're going, God, I didn't even ask for this. You gave me this, and now it's breaking my heart. You gave me this, and now it's killing me. Uh, I'm more disappointed now than I was when I didn't have this. Why did you have to mess with me? Why did you have to bless me? Because now the blessing is breaking my heart. Why did you have to give me something I didn't even ask for? She says, didn't I tell you, don't get my hopes up? That's what she says. Look at the verse. She says, I told you, don't get my hopes up. Don't deceive me. And here I'm heartbroken. And Elisha looks at her with compassion. And he tells his servant, go, take my staff, lay it on the child's face. This will work. You go for me. And this woman is a persistent mom. She grabs Elisha. She says, as surely as the Lord lives. She was an angry mom. When mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. She says, as surely as the Lord lives. We've seen this before. These were the same words Elisha said to Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 2. Elisha told Elijah, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I'm not leaving until I get what I came for. Elijah looked at Elisha and said, what do you want? He said, I want the double portion. Elisha was a persistent man. And now he was looking at a persistent woman. This woman grabbed him and said, I'm going to take a cue from your story. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I won't go home unless you go with me. We're going to look at this problem together. So he gets up and he follows her. He comes to the house. Gehazi tries to do what he can do and it doesn't work. Religion always tries to do something that doesn't work. That's why we need the presence of God. We need a personal relationship with the word of God. He became flesh. The word of God dwelt among us, Jesus. She says, I need you in my house. I need you to touch an area in my family that's really painful right now. I'm, I'm speaking to some families today. You got a problem right now in your house. Maybe they've left your house. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your son or your daughter. Maybe it's your grandson. And you're looking at it and you're going, how did this happen? How did this happen? So she takes him to the upper room and she says, would you just 
would you just bring the word of God on this situation? I need you to just cover this situation right now. I need you to cover it with the word. The word of God has the final say. There's something powerful when we bring our problems to the word of God and we say, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to handle this family trauma, this family problem. It's a really messy situation. I don't have time to unpack what happened. I don't have time to unpack how we got here. I just need you to cover this. I need you to lay the word of God right now on my son. And so here Elisha is, he walks in the room, he looks back at the mom, and he closes the door on her. In other words, he was saying, this is private. This is personal. This is going to be a process. I told you I didn't have points, but here's three points for you. This is a private miracle. This is a personal miracle. And this miracle is going to be a process in your family. So he closes the door. And he brings the word. He is the word. He's the spoken word of God. He's the prophetic voice of God. And he lays himself down on top of the problem. Eyes to eyes, hands to hands, mouth to mouth. He's bringing the word of God. He's doing CPR on the problem. And then he gets up because nothing changes. And he leaves the room. He goes back downstairs. He walks back and forth through the house. And then he goes back upstairs. He shuts the door again. By the way, if things haven't changed, go back to that word again. I love that this woman is willing to wait until, until things are going to turn around. She's waiting. She's watching. Elisha is committed to speaking the word of God, to speaking the word of God over problems. Now, I'm speaking today about things in your life that look dead, things that seem over, things that seem hopeless, things that you go, I don't know how God could heal this. I don't know how God could fix this. I don't know how God can restore this. I don't know how God's going to change this. Bring it back to the word of God. Stand on the word of God and let the word of God stand on the problem. Put the word of God over the situation. So Elisha lays back down a second time and he begins to breathe into this young 12-year-old boy. And all of a sudden the boy sneezes. And then he sneezes again. And then he sneezes again. He sneezes seven times, which is the number of completion. And on the seventh time, his eyes opened up and the promise that was once dead, the dream that was once dead, stand to your feet all over this place. What the enemy had said is over. God brought back to life. God's not done with your story. God's not done with your son. God's not done with your daughter. God's not done with your uncle. God's not done with your brother. God's not done with your sister. God's not done with your husband. God's not done with your grandpa. God's not done with your granddaughter. God's not done with your grandma. God's not done with your family. God's not done with your sister. God's not done with your niece. God's not done with your nephew. God's not done with that situation. God says, bring it back to the word of God. Bring it back to the altar. Bring the word of God back into your house. Lay it on the altar. I want to pray right now for people all over this room and online who have family situations that you go, I really need God to intervene here. I really, I've tried not to get my hopes up. And maybe in some cases you've been, you've been allowing it to sit in a dormant dead place for years. And God says, would you bring it back to the altar of the word of God? God has a way of breathing life into things that seem hopeless and over and dead and defeated. God has a way of restoring and reconciling families that have walked through betrayal and pain. Families that have walked through loss and grief. Couples who've been told they'll never have children. Wives and husbands who've walked through all kinds of torment and pain. Maybe you're here today and you're going, can God restore what I've lost? Can God do something new and fresh in my life? Maybe you're wondering if God can redeem your mistakes or the mistakes of others. God is in the business of doing all kinds of impossible things. He's in the business of reconciling brothers like Jacob and Esau. 
He's in the business of reconciling families like Joseph and the brothers that betrayed him. God is able to bring back the Lazaruses that have been laid in tombs. He's able to minister to people who've been told your womb is barren and it's impossible. God can minister to your situation. And maybe the biggest thing today is to find comfort and peace and hope again that God is not finished with your family. That God is not finished with that situation. That wayward son, that daughter that's drifted away. The word of God is calling them back. And today I want to pray for moms and dads, sons and daughters. I want to pray for fathers and mothers and husbands and wives, uncles and aunts and nieces and nephews, grandparents in the room. You're standing for a miracle in your family. You're believing for a miracle in one of your family members' lives. Maybe it's a physical miracle. Last night as I was preaching, this, this mother came running down to the altar, wailing, weeping louder than any person I've ever heard weep on a Saturday night at church. And she laid on the altar her phone. And on her phone was a picture of a young boy in the hospital with tubes through his nose. And she was weeping, bringing the problem to the only one who can fix it. Bringing the situation to the only one who knows what to do with it. Can I tell you today, you can trust God with your tears. You can trust God with your crisis. You can trust God with messy situations. You can trust God with the unspoken prayer request. You can trust God. I'm not asking you to come to me. I'm asking you to come to the Lord today. I'm asking you to come down to the altar to say, God, I surrender. I'm carrying a heavy burden in my family, and I don't know what to do with it. I've had this on my mind. I've, I've had it on my heart. I've had it keeping me up at night through the weeks and through the months and through the years, whatever it is just leave your seat come and find a place at this altar we're just going to surrender to God whatever it is you need to bring maybe it's a situation emotionally mentally physically maybe maybe it's sin that you just need to surrender to God to repent maybe it's calling back a prodigal son a daughter a prodigal husband or wife or a grandpa that you're just saying Lord I pray that you would save his soul I pray that you would save her soul I pray that you would heal their marriage God I pray that you would heal that relationship between dad and daughter between mom and son between mom and daughter in Jesus name bring it to the altar bring it to the word of God put the word of God on that problem put the word of God on that situation all over this room today Let's just worship. Israel, lead us in that. I will make room for you, God. I will make room for a miracle. I will make room for hope again. I will make room for your healing, God. I will make room for your restoration. I will make room for your reconciliation. I will make room for you to walk in my heart and my life and change me, God. I will make room for you. I will make room for you, Lord. Lord, I pray for every mind today, every thought that's not for you. Peace in Jesus' name. Grace in Jesus' name. Healing in Jesus' name. Restoration. Reconciliation. God is not finished yet. God is not done yet. God loves your family. He loves your family. God is for you. He's not against you. I will make room for you today, God, to do whatever you want to. He loves you. 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 I will make room for you to do whatever you want. Break down the walls 
everything in the feet of Jesus, everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house of miracles. Come alive, come alive, come alive. Would you come alive? God, we speak to every situation. Come alive, come alive. Lord, you see every tear. You see every prayer. You hear every cry of our heart, the unspoken request. God, I thank you that you are close to the brokenhearted. You are the mender of families. Lord, we thank you for your healing power today. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations for your family, your children, and the children, and the children. May his favor be upon you and a thousand generations. Your family, your children, and the children. May his presence, and your children. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you, all around you, and within you, He's with you, He's with you, in the morning, in the evening, in your coming, and your going, and your weeping, and rejoicing, He is for you, He is for you, may His presence go before you, and behind you, and beside you, all around you, and within you, He's with you, He's with you, in the morning, in the evening, in your coming, in your going, in your weeping, and rejoicing, He's for you, 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 He's for you. you love us. God, you are for us, not against us. You are with us. You never leave us nor forsake us. God, I thank you, Lord, no matter what we walk through, we can bring it to you. Lord, I thank you that you want to get involved in every part of our lives. Lord, you care about our family. You care about the family relationships. You care about sons and daughters. You care about mothers and fathers. You care about all of us, Lord. Today we lift up, God, people in our lives, maybe even people right here at this altar that need a miracle. Whether it's physical or emotional or a relationship miracle in their family, a reconciliation miracle, a restoration miracle, we lift it up to you today, God. 
we thank you that you still do miracles today. That what you did back then, you're still doing today. We've seen it with our own eyes in this church. Miracles. Family miracles. Marriage miracles. Physical miracles. So Lord, we pray today for every situation at this altar. God, that you can and that you will. Lord, we believe that you are able, more than able to do whatever it is that's down at the altar today. God, you know it. You hear the cries of your people and you are faithful and your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, we want your word to fill our houses. God, where there's been lies of the enemy, where there's been just tension or there's been a lack of peace or maybe there's just been sadness or darkness, God, that your word would drive it out. Lord, that we would lift up your word in our house, that we would allow your word, God, to permeate all the rooms and the situations, God, that we face, that we would bring it to your word, that we would invite, God, your word to have the final say on things, God, that maybe we've been told are hopeless. Maybe we've even thought or expected nothing could change there. Lord, we bring it back to your word today. We put it on the altar and we say, God, you have the final say. We surrender to you. You are on the throne of our hearts, Lord. Just say this with me. Jesus, I repent of my sins and I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross, raising from the dead. You are my Lord and Savior. I want your word in my heart, in my home, Lord, to change me, to make me more like you. I put my hope in you, and I cast my cares upon you. Every burden, every problem, I lay at your feet. Your word has the final say. So God, I thank you in advance that you are working on these things, on these people, and I trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.